Welcome to the online Bible study. This week we are looking at Esther chapter 8. Now we left off in chapter 7 with Esther revealing Haman's plot to kill her and her people as King Ahasuerus grew angry and ordered Haman to be hung on the very gallows that he built to hang Mordecai on. Haman's face was immediately covered and he was escorted by the king's eunuchs to the gallows and was hanged. But just because Haman was dead did not mean that the Jewish people were now safe, does it? No. The decree written by Haman to annihilate the Jews was still in effect. This shows us that the consequences of our actions live on long after we are gone. So the question we should be asking is, what legacy are we leaving? Are the consequences of our actions good or bad? Ladies, we really need to think before we act. Think about the consequences that will result from our actions. Will they be glorifying to God or will they bring dishonor? What is the purpose behind our actions? Is it our own selfish gain or the gain of others? The Lord brought Esther and Mordecai to the Persian kingdom for such a time as this. The Lord used them to save the Jewish people. Now, last chapter, the king learned that Queen Esther was a Jew, right? Now, here in chapter 8, the king learns a little bit more. He learns that Mordecai is Esther's cousin. Therefore, he is now related to the king by marriage. Let's turn in our scripture to Esther chapter 8 and let's look at verse 1. On that day, King Ahasuerus gave Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, and Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. Notice here that it says, On that day King Ahasuerus gave Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. Now according to ancient historians, whenever a traitor was executed, the state or the throne confiscated his estate. So the king had every legal right to give Haman's house to his wife, Queen Esther. So in conversation with the king, Esther reveals that Mordecai is her, her cousin and that he had adopted and raised her after her parents' death. Upon hearing this and probably remembering that it was Mordecai that saved his life, the king summoned Mordecai to come to the palace. Then, as we see in verse 2, that the king promotes Mordecai to take Haman's position. He gives Mordecai his signet ring. Now, you remember giving the signet ring gives Mordecai full authority to act in his behalf as a king. Let's look at verse 2. It says, So the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed Mordecai over the house of Haman. Not only was Mordecai promoted by the king, but Esther also appoints him to be the steward or manager over Haman's vast estate. When we are faithful servants, as Mordecai and Esther were, we will 
receive just rewards. Now, this doesn't mean that we will get promotions at work, right? Or will be promoted to high places. But it does mean that God will reward us for being faithful to Him, whether it is in this lifetime or in eternity. If we know the Lord and are worshiping and serving the Lord and are truly faithful in living righteous lives, God promises to reward us. But as we see in the voice of the martyrs that they are not receiving great promotions, are they, for their faith, but they are being persecuted, murdered, imprisoned. So being a faithful servant to Christ is not always glamorous, but these faithful servants will receive their rewards in heaven. The question is, when Christ returns, will he find us faithful? And I pray that he will. Now Esther cannot waste a minute. The Jewish people are still facing annihilation. Let's read on in verses 3 through 6. It says, Now Esther spoke again to the king, fell down at his feet, and implored him with tears to counteract the evil of Haman the Agagite and the scheme which he had devised against the Jews. And the king held out the golden scepter toward Esther. So Esther arose and stood before the king and said, If it pleases the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and the thing seems right to the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, which he wrote to annihilate the Jews who are in all the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the evil that will come to my people, or how can I endure to see the destruction of my countrymen? Can't you just feel the anguish and the compassion Esther has here in regards to the Jewish people as she speaks to the king again? This time, Scripture says that she fell at his feet and implored him with tears. Now you remember back when she was pleading for her own life, it never mentioned that she implored him with tears. But here she is begging the king to save the Jewish people from annihilation. She also appeals to the king again, stating, If it pleases the king and if I have found favor. She had done that before, right? But notice that she also appeals to his wisdom now. She says the things that seem right to the king. She's asking, if this seems right to you, she's pleading to his wisdom. And then to their relationship when she says, and I am pleasing in your eyes. After appealing to the king, she then requests that he put it in writing to revoke the previous decree. She concludes her request with a personal note. How could she bear the pain of seeing her people and family slaughtered? You know, when I think about Esther and how she had a heart for the Jewish people, it really makes me think about the many lost in the world. Do I have a passion to reach the lost?
Brandon Heath has a song out called Give Me Your Eyes. He talks about having a heart for the lost and seeing people through God's eyes. One of the lines in the song says, All those people going somewhere, why have I never cared? Then the chorus goes on and it says, Give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see. Everything that I keep missing, give me your love for humanity. Give me your arms for the brokenhearted, ones that are far beyond my reach. Give me your heart for the ones forgotten. Give me your eyes so I can see. How many times have we passed people on the street, in the supermarket, in the post office, and we really don't see them? This song really hits home because my prayer is is that God would help me see the world through his eyes. That my life would glorify God and that my actions would have eternal rewards. How many people are going to be in heaven because of you? You are the only Bible that some people are going to read. Psalms 122.6 says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Warren Wearsby shows in scripture several examples of those who prayed for the Jews. If you want to turn in your book to page 170 and read along with me, you may be welcome to. It says, When Israel sinned, Moses met God on the mountain and interceded for them. He was even willing for God to blot him out of the book of life, if that's what it took to rescue the nation. Centuries later, the Apostle Paul said that he was willing to be accursed from Christ if it would help save unbelieving Israel. On Mount Carmel, Elijah prayed for disobedient Israel as we see in 1 Kings and in the palace. Nehemiah prayed for the Jews in Jerusalem. Like Nehemiah, Ezra wept and prayed and asked God to help his sinful people. And then in Daniel, he humbled himself and fasted and prayed that he might understand what God's plan was for Israel. Isaiah says, I have set a watchman on the walls, O Jerusalem, who shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent, and give him no rest till he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Ladies, especially in these end times, we really need to remember to pray for Israel. Warren Wiersbe also said, One concerned person devoted to prayer can make a difference in this world, for prayer is the key that releases the power of God. No wonder Satan doesn't want us to pray. There is so much truth in that. 
The power of God was released through Esther and Mordecai as they prayed and fasted for guidance, protection, and wisdom. But there was one problem. Once a decree was signed by the king, it was law never to be revoked. So in light of this fact, and despite the tenderness of the king's heart toward Esther, he could not revoke the decree. How was he going to respond to his dear wife's broken heart and to her fearful request for mercy upon her people? Let's look at the king's response in verses 7 through 8. It says, Then King Ahasuer said to Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew, Indeed, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows because he tried to lay his hands on the Jews. You yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews, as you please, if they end the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring. For whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke. The king gave a positive answer to Esther's plea for mercy here, didn't he? granting exactly what she had requested. He immediately ordered a new decree. He also gave Esther and Mordecai a free hand in wording the document, assuring them of his full support. He instructed them to seal the decree with his signet ring, for no decree signed and sealed with a royal ring could ever be revoked. Sound familiar? You would have thought that the king would have learned from the first decree that he should at least read it before allowing it to be sealed with his ring. But he did trust Mordecai the Jew to help get him out of this mess. Well, immediately the king's scribes were called and Mordecai began working on the new decree as we see in verses 9 through 10. Let's look at, take a look at that. So the king's scribes were called at that time in the third month, which is the month of Zavon, on the twenty-third day, and it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded to the Jews, the satraps, the governors, and the princes and the provinces from India to Ethiopia, one hundred and twenty-seven provinces in all, to every province in its own script, to every people in their own language, and to the Jews in their own script and language. And he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus, sealed it with the king's signet ring, and sent letters by couriers on horseback, riding on royal horses bred from swift steeds. So we can see here that it was the 23rd day of the third month of the month of Sivan, which was just a little over two months after Haman had issued the original decree of annihilation. Again, the decree went out to all 127 provinces in their own languages. And you remember back looking at this vast empire of how vast this was. Let's look now at the decree and what was said in the decree. Verses 11 and 12. It says, By these letters the king permitted the Jews 
who were in every city to gather together and protect their lives, to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the forces of any people or providences that would assault them, both little children and women, and to plunder their possessions. On one day in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, on the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. So the new decree granted the right of self-defense to the Jews, didn't it? Notice the exact language used in Haman's decree of annihilation is repeated here in this decree. What I want you to do is turn back to chapter 3 and look at verse 13. Keep your finger in this one so you can compare the wordage. It says, And the letters were sent by couriers into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, on the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their possessions. Notice, they both used to destroy, to kill, to annihilate. They both used children and women. And they both said to plunder their possessions. Esther also used the same wording, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate when she addressed the king in her petition to remind him of the decree that was sent out. Do you remember back in chapter 7, verse 4? She said, For we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Now Mordecai is using the same language to remind the people of the first decree so that they would know that the king found favor now in the Jews and that he did not want them annihilated. You know, there are going to still be those who want to annihilate the Jews, right? So by giving them permission to defend themselves, it would help prevent the annihilation of all the Jews in the providences. The second decree was also given the same time limit. Did you notice that it also says, on, in one day, in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar. So you can see here how these two decrees are interlocking, right? So that everyone would know that the king no longer wanted the annihilation of the Jews. Now, I don't want to go into too much of this because we're going to be studying chapter 9 next week. But I do want to show you that the Jews did act only in self-defense as the decree stated. Let's look at three important facts that we'll be looking at next week. It says, first... The Jews killed only those who attacked them. Second, the, they killed only the men, as we'll see in Esther 6, 12, and 15. They didn't lay hands on the loot, although they had every right to do so, as we'll see in verse 10, 15, and 16 in chapter 9. The fact that the Jews killed 800 men in the city of Shushan alone proves 
that there were many Persians just waiting for the opportunity to attack God's people. Now, it is estimated that there were probably half a million people in the capital city. The total number of the slain was 75,000 out of a population of perhaps 100 million people. The fact that these people were willing to attack when they knew that the Jews would protect themselves is proof that anti-Semitism was very strong throughout the empire. Mordecai's decree was in complete harmony with God's covenant with Abraham. Remember in Genesis 12:3 it says, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. Isaac also would have agreed with Mordecai when Isaac blessed Jacob. He said in chapter 27 verse 29 of Genesis, Cursed be everyone who cursed you and blessed be those who bless you. In addition, God promised Moses in Exodus 23:22. He said, I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. And don't forget that quotation from Dr. Vernon McGee. The Jew has attended the funeral of every one of the nations that tried to exterminate him. As soon as the decree was finished, Mordecai had rushed out to the empire by couriers and messengers. Let's read on, verses 13 and 14. A copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province and published for all the people, so that the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves of the enemies. The couriers, who rode on royal horses, went out, hastened, and pressed on by the king's command, and the decree was issued in Shushan the citadel. Now the Jews needed all the time that they could get to prepare their defense. You remember how vast this empire was, right? So because of the time that it's going to take them to reach the farthest point of the empire, no doubt he ordered them to rush as quickly as they could. Note the descriptive words used to convey the urgency sensed by the couriers. They went out or were urged on, hastened or rode swiftly, pressed on. The idea is that a total commitment to the king's command, the command to carry the message of hope and deliverance to the condemned Jews. Now, knowing that the Jews were condemned, the messengers sensed this urgency of the hour. So in view of this, they rushed as quickly as they could with the good news of salvation for those who were condemned. Some even say they were. that was the first Pony Express. We see in verse 15 that when Mordecai left the palace, he was now wearing royal apparel. Let's read on in verses 15 and 17. It says, So Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white, 
with a great crown of gold and a garment of fine lemon and purple. And the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. The Jews had light and gladness, joy and honor. And in every province and city, wherever the king's command and decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a holiday. Then many of the people of the land became Jews because fear of the Jews fell upon them. Can you imagine the joy that filled the Jews as they see now Mordecai having been promoted to prime minister of the Persian Empire and wicked Haman hung on those very gallows. They knew they had a strong representative in the empire now. And then to read the decree with the king's seal giving them permission to defend themselves against the annihilation. What a relief must have fallen upon them. God had answered their prayers. Remember, they were praying and fasting for when all of this took hold. This chapter begins with Queen Esther in tears, as we saw in verse 3. But it ends with the rejoicing of the Jews in feasting. The Jews have been mourning and fasting, but now they are ecstatic with joy. Now there's different views on this last statement in verse 17. But when you really think about it, all of the Persian Empire has seen how the God of the Jews has delivered them, protected them. They had witnessed a complete turnaround from the Jews, a twisting of their fate from the threat of being exterminated to being accepted and even favored by the king himself. That last part says, Then many of the people of the land became Jews, because fear of the Jews fell upon them. Well, just like your own life. When people see God working in your life, doesn't it make them ask questions and even turn to God themselves? Some unbelievers probably did begin to fear, reverence, and trust God as well as worship Him. The good news of the gospel of Christ must be carried to the world. Just as the messengers of Esther's day rushed to God, rushed the good news to the condemned Jews, so we must rush the good news of Christ to the condemned of this world. Mark 16.15 says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to, his, to every creature. So, as we refer back to Brandon Heath's song, Giving me eyes for just one second, giving me eyes that I can see, Everything that I keep missing, give me a love for humanity. Ladies, we need to have a love and a heart for the lost. We had a lot of family and relatives around us at Thanksgiving, and there are a lot that are unsaved. You are the only Bible that they're going to read. Living your life in front of them, 
having a heart. Open my eyes so that I can see the brokenhearted. Even though they smile back, they're hurting inside. Next week, we're going to be finishing the book of Esther as we look at chapters 9 and 10. We will see the triumph of the Jews in the celebration of Purim. So until then, may the Lord bless you. God bless.